I'm Daniel Giacopelli. It's the 29th of May, and this is The Courier Daily. We've been talking with small business owners every day, all over the world, to find out ways they're coping and adapting to the crisis. And this, episode 46, and about 100 stories of pivoting and adapting later, is the final episode of this show in its daily format. We'll soon be switching gears a bit and adding even more formats and shows. Courier founder and editor-in-chief Jeff Taylor will be here at the end of today's episode to talk a bit more about all the exciting stuff that's coming up next, so make sure to stay tuned for that. But first up today, I'm with J.P. Thin, the founder of Crosstown Donuts and Slurp. During lockdown, J.P. teamed up with other independent food and drink brands, St. John Wines, The Estate Dairy, Miller's Bakery, Caravan Coffee Roasters, and Ted's Veg, to launch Crosstown Collective, which delivers quality food boxes to London homes. JP's tech startup Slurp, meanwhile, is an on-demand delivery platform that uses a restaurant or retailer's own website, rather than being on an aggregator or a marketplace like Uber Eats or Deliveroo. A pizzeria, for instance, can plug into Slurp and its network of couriers and avoid paying massive commissions. Needless to say, it's grown in a huge way in recent months. I caught up with JP just a bit earlier to find out what he's learned. Selling fruit and veg was never part of the Crosstown plan, but we had to do it. We had to sort of look outside of our normal four walls and do something different to stay alive. And I think that's really important to emphasize is that this is really just the beginning of the survival of our businesses. I think the F&B sector has got a huge challenge ahead of itself. No one really knows what the new norm is, but it's definitely not going to be what it was. I think businesses are now getting their head around that they're going to have to do things differently and really think outside of what their original plan was or what their original strategy was. And for us, really, that is about online ordering. And I think the move to online ordering has been significant. And with Slurp, I've been pushing this for years now and, and thinking that this was what was going to happen. And in many ways, this scenario has just accelerated my view that online ordering should be a pillar of any food and beverage business or any bricks and mortar business, to be honest, in in the retail space. Yeah. I mean, it seems Slurp is really tailor-made for this crisis, at least. And obviously, I know the crisis has accelerated a lot of trends that, you know, were already bubbling away. For those who don't know Slurp, I mean, essentially, it's a, a different way for you to get your product delivered quickly. That's not Deliveroo or Uber Eats or, you know, one of those other services. It's not a marketplace. It's kind of like a, a tech bolt-on to your existing infrastructure, right? Yeah, it's direct-to-consumer online ordering built for multi-site retailers. It's kind of like a a mashup between a Shopify and a Deliveroo. So you get like all the control of a direct-to-consumer solution, but all the functionality of an on-demand solution. It's all about retaining control and, and really converting people through your own website. And you're right, you know, it's it's been a very contrasting view for me because I'm sitting here as an operator going, holy shit, how are we going to get through this? You know, Crosstown's an independent business. You know, we haven't got institutional backing. What do we need to do to get through this period? And then on the flip side, I've got Slurp and I'm going, holy shit, this thing is going through the roof. Everyone is looking for a solution because it's the only channel at the moment. And it's been amazing to sit here and and sort of help businesses through this and give them some, you know, revenue and, and essentially hope that they've got a future. The growth has been pretty significant for Slurp. 
So you had a huge incoming of, of restaurant requests when lockdowns hit. Massive. So we've probably grown four to five times between February and April in terms of the number of merchants, but we've grown 20 to 25x in terms of the actual transaction value that's going through the system, which is pretty significant in any measure or in any time. That's organic. That's not us pushing it out there, going, doing huge marketing campaigns or anything. That's us just being there and people going, hey, have you heard of Slurp? These guys are providing a solution that essentially lets you do online ordering direct. We've got a lot of traction in many respects, and I think we're in another phase of the business now for Slurp. It's right. really moved from sort of startup to, to a scale-up. So essentially with Slurp, I mean, if I'm a pizzeria, I'll integrate with Slurp. And when somebody orders a pizza on my website, Slurp will kind of send that out to third-party couriers, pick it up and deliver it. That's one scenario. We connect with third-party couriers, but we also let people fulfill it themselves. So if they've got staff that they want to do deliveries, they can do that. And at the moment, it really is a mix because I think a lot of the restaurants and the retailers, that they obviously have idle staff at the moment. They have people who are like, hey, I want to work. What can I do? So you, we are getting like a hybrid approach where some people are utilizing the third-party couriers whilst some are using their own or they're using a mix of both, which is totally fine as well. You're obviously deeply on the inside of the delivery sector and, and you know where the tech and innovation is heading. What are the big hurdles that you see to overcome within that sector? It's been pretty widespread through the broadsheets about the challenges that the marketplaces are having. Let's be honest about it. And by marketplaces, I mean the aggregators, so the, the Deliveroo, the Uber Eats, the Grubhubs of the world. I think there's going to be some pretty significant consolidation in the market for those guys. There seems to be a mindset shift as well about their business models and you know not burning so much cash for market share. I think they've got to work closer with operators and find a business model that works for both parties. You know, as an operator myself, when you have commissions that, you know, are upwards of 35%, it just doesn't work. The numbers don't work. They don't stack up. And they need to. They need to for, for both parties because there's no use in a business folding and then obviously not being on the platforms. And there's no use for the marketplaces because they haven't got constant supply. It was a funny story the other day of, I forgot which marketplace it was, but one of these guys was doing really dodgy stuff by like setting up fake pages pretending to be a restaurant. And some pizzeria owner was actually making money by ordering his own pizzas using that kind of fake ghost site. I did see that. It was... I can't remember, it was one of the American marketplaces where they priced their pizza lower than they do actually sell it. So the guy was just essentially buying his own pizza and taking a profit. That just makes no sense. I really struggle with what value that adds to anyone, to be honest, other than burning cash. Late stage capitalism, bizarre things happen. Yeah, and, and that has to change. And I think that change is happening now. I think that the success story in this is, is that people like Shopify's who their share price is on a complete rip at the moment because it's providing a, a direct-to-consumer option and, and, and a turnkey solution. That to me is where brand owners should be looking is that they need to control their destiny online. And the only way to really do that is to have your own website with your own ordering channel. I just can't see there being an alternative, to be honest. 
What have been the the biggest headaches for you with Slurp? Has it been, I mean, you're working with, you know, dozens or at least many, many different third-party couriers. You have a tech platform that you're trying to scale in a pandemic. What's been the hardest? Yeah, there's been a number of challenges, of course. The nature of on-demand ordering as well is is a challenge because it's, it's so live. It's so instantaneous, right? So you have to have live ops and you have to be around the clock, you know, you're seven days a week. There's no such thing as a weekend when you're talking about on-demand e-commerce. I think the interesting thing for us as well is that because we are a small team, we very much were in the startup phase pre-COVID and we are still in terms of headcount at the same number. So even though we've gone through this growth, it's still quite a nimble team. So I think the challenge we face immediately now is how do we scale a team remotely? which I think is a big challenge for many businesses, is what does that look like? Probably tech has a bit more of an advantage to be able to work remotely because we're almost enabled and, and can do that. But actually onboarding someone remotely and trying to create a culture around them will be very difficult. And I think a challenge that any business will face, whether you're small or large. I think that's the immediate challenge that we face. I think obviously I have you know, great aspirations to take Slurp internationally. I think that will now accelerate. I think we'll do that sooner rather than later. So again, we're going to have the the challenges of how do we take a piece of technology and launch it internationally without potentially being able to go into the country without being quarantined. That will be an interesting challenge. Yeah, that really will be interesting, scaling internationally and launching in new markets without ever getting on a an airplane. Yeah, exactly. We've had a bit of learnings already in that because our team is remote between a couple of countries already. Like we are based in Asia as well as being based in London. So we are used to having remote teams to a degree. But I think when you're in a sort of hyper growth mode and you're scaling quickly, it's a whole different kettle of fish. And we sort of really need to invest into the structure and processes for us to do that in an effective way. And that's really the the challenge that any startup has when it moves to a scale-up phase, I think, is that it has to go through those motions of how do you essentially grow up in the right way without destroying or damaging things like your culture or you're obviously keeping the, the, the technology stable. Next up, we're staying in the food world with Kim Pham. She's co-founder, along with her sister Vanessa, of a brand new food startup called Omsum which sells starters, basically sauces and spices in a package that lets you cook authentic Asian dishes at home. Kim and her sister, who are Vietnamese-American, wanted to freshen up the stale, outdated branding and design of the quote-unquote ethnic food aisle. And if you check out their Instagram and website, I think you'd agree it's mission accomplished. But what did she learn launching amid the pandemic? Here's Kim. Amsam is a new Asian food brand that just launched this month, and we are really focused on bringing proud, loud Asian flavors into your home. And we do that by crafting what we call starters, which are essentially pantry shortcuts that pack all of the sauces, aromatics, and seasonings that you would need for a specific Asian dish. So literally kind of like think the ease um, of use of like a jar of uh, tomato sauce, but being able to unlock really kind of iconic Asian dishes. Yeah, we've been working on the business for kind of full time for a little over a year. And obviously, you know, we were very much planning on launching Omsom this spring, but then, you know, obviously COVID hit and there came like a really 
intense moment where Vanessa, my co-founder, and she's also my sister, by the way, (laughs) we had to kind of sit down and be like, oh my God, like, this is insane. Like, are we about to launch a business in the midst of a pandemic? Like we actually even had some investors who told us to kind of like pull back actually, because they're, you know, they're like, hey, like, we don't know if folks are going to be even in a place where they want to discover new products. Like the world is going through this collective trauma. Like, you know, let's hold off and and launch again when things are back to normal. But I I think we all quickly learned that like, this is kind of the new normal. And unless we're willing to wait out until probably 2021, you know, we should just kind of put this out into the world. And I I won't call it a silver lining because that's pretty messed up way of thinking about it. But, you know, what we are seeing is that folks are really rediscovering the joy of cooking at home again. And so you were like, you know, we were just kind of thinking, let's just do it. And so, yeah, we, we launched this May. It's been wild, not without a lot of compromises and challenges, of course, but we still managed to do it. (laughs) Yeah, I know that you guys have kind of shifted your marketing a little bit to be a bit more scrappy, a bit more DIY, right? Yes, that was a reflection of what we can do. Like, I think, you know, on one hand, it's a bummer, you know, because we had all these incredible shoots planned, you know, with these amazing photographers and videographers, but then we just, you know, obviously shelter in place hit New York City and then that became, you know, a no-go. And so I ended up having to shoot all of our, so any of the videos that you see on omsom.com are done by me in my apartment. It's a skill I've never, ever had, but I had to just learn how to become a crib director, an art director, you know, prep and talent all at once. So yeah, you know, like it's a bummer again, that it's not the the perfectly crisp thing we wanted, but in many ways it's reflective of, you know, what we're all going through. And I think folks are just are happy to see something that doesn't feel so perfectly manicured. So yeah. (laughs) And I know you guys, you import quite a lot of your ingredients from Asia, right? But obviously supply chains haven't been that smooth. Yeah. For sure. So my co-founder, my sister, Vanessa, she runs that side of the business. And obviously leading up to the pandemic, we were trying as hard as possible to just have a a super supply chain anyways. But, you know, across the board, once COVID hit, we saw delays in packaging and ingredients as well. You know, like I think part of our commitment to cultural integrity with our dishes is that, you know, we source the right ingredients and oftentimes they're from Asia. So they're from the Philippines, they're from Vietnam, they're from Thailand. And so just in general, like, you know, imports coming into the U.S. from Asia were just really slowed down. So we had to kind of try and push folks and stay agile where we could. Some things were kind of beyond our control there. You've also worked with quite famous, well-known chefs as well, right? Yeah, my gosh, we're, we're super, super lucky. So basically, we, we partner, we call them tastemakers. Tastemakers were a part of our business really since day one, the products that you see in the quote unquote ethnic aisle in mainstream grocery stores, a lot of them, you know, are just not great. They're kind of, you know, you look at them and it's kind of like stepping back in time. It's like super stereotypical design. They're just clearly not made with folks of that background in the room. You know, when we were starting Omsom, we're like, okay, if we're going to do this, we're going to do this right. And that means having these folks in our corner kind of end to end. Should this taste spicier, saltier, more tartness? You know, like they were really, really hands-on all the way through to like our content. They were advising, you know, like here's different recipes that folks could be cooking at home with. They're a big piece of who we are and we can't imagine building this business the right way without them involved. Yeah. And of course you gave a bit of commission as well to people who bought products that they worked on, right? Yes. 
I think it's a reflection of our values. Like we firmly believe that rising tides raise all boats and that we as first generation Americans, daughters of Vietnamese refugees, like we have an obligation to compensate these folks fairly for their time and their expertise. And so, yes, they are paid a royalty essentially. So for all products sold in their category that they helped us develop, they receive a percentage of that. And it's our duty to continue to unlock and hopefully amplify opportunities for them, particularly, you know, now more than ever with the restaurant industry, particularly in New York City, really being hit hard. We just hope that we can even just be a drop in the bucket to help them get back on their feet. And obviously you're in New York right now, which is, you know, I'm from New York as well. I mean, you know, but that's ground zero for coronavirus right now in the U.S. What's it been like kind of trying to grow a you know, a brand new company when you can't even travel on the subway. Yeah, it's bizarre, honestly. And the thing about food is that it's so experiential. It's so IRL. So when, you know, before obviously all this hit, you know, we had all these like big plans for like these dinners, you know, for the community. We had a big launch party planned. Like we had these dinners planned around the nation where we would engage with local community figures and influencers. Like, you know, because so much about food and so much about these dishes in particular are family style, breaking bread together, sharing these stories. And so we had to like throw obviously all of that out and just try and reimagine like how can we bring that same love, bring that same heart, bring that same community, but do it online, which is really tough, especially when every other brand is also trying to figure this out. We're just, like I said, DIY scrappier. We're taking a return to what we're good at, which is like, we're good at telling these stories we are of these backgrounds and so feel like we can, you know, create community authentically. And yeah, just learning, you know, we're learning to live and live on Slack. <laughs> and actually a funny story, physical product, you know, you have to hold things in your hands, right? And so yesterday we had a really like an hour long Zoom call with my entire team where we're trying to figure out how to put this like design onto like a new packaging format. But it's really difficult to understand like physical things and dimensions and things when you're not next to each other. Like you totally take those things for granted. So it was just one of those things where I was like, oh man, we could have figured this out in like 20 minutes in the office, but because we're on Zoom and we're trying to like hold and show things one dimensionally, it took like an hour. So there's all things like that, you know. And finally today, this is actually the last episode of The Courier Daily. We started the show way back in late March when lockdowns just kicked off around the world. And here we are now in late May, episode 46. And to walk us through what's happening next in the world of Courier Audio, I'm joined by Jeff Taylor, Courier's founder and editor-in-chief, just like I was in episode one. And Jeff, it's a really interesting day as well because we just got the next issue of the magazine, issue 35, in the mail today, right? Yeah, I'm totally distracted. Uh, June, July just landed on my uh, kitchen table about an hour ago. It looks fantastic. I think it's been a real challenge pulling this one together as you are um, very aware. The amount of photography that we um, we depend on as a magazine has been a huge challenge when no one's shooting and uh, no one's able to get anywhere. But um, but it looks fantastic. It's really good. I hope, I hope everyone loves it. It's all about fresh starts and leadership and sustainability and just lots of really good stuff for the times. So I think, you know, when the crisis first hit, we moved to this daily format. We wanted to do something that helped make sense of what was going on out there and to give the audience, but also ourselves, as much insight as possible into how um, everyone was dealing with this sort of shock that had hit their business. I think, yeah, you said nine weeks, nine or ten weeks we've been going. You've done over 100 interviews. It's been pretty intense. But I think what's great is this really rich tapestry has emerged that points to just how nimble people are, how 
adaptable even in the sort of face of crisis you know there's we've heard so many stories of like initial shock but within hours or days changes starting to ripple out and people adapting that's been hugely inspiring but also i hope really useful the crisis isn't over by any means there's still a ton of questions about where things go from here but i think as a team we feel like in the last few weeks we've seen what's probably best described as some sort of stabilization and yeah, it's probably the wrong term, but normalisation, if you will. At the start, I don't think any of us even knew where we'd be tomorrow. Now we've all had time to kind of adapt, figure out what damage has hit our individual business or our circumstances and start coming up with a plan to, to try to manage that. And so with that in mind, we've been thinking a lot about how we best support everyone on this next stage of the journey. Yeah, we've been, you know, thinking really hard on the editorial team of what can now be useful to entrepreneurs all around the world. That's not necessarily daily stories of surviving, but something a bit more nuanced and, and forward thinking as well, right? Exactly. And I, I think there's a great opportunity there. Paired with the fact we've had a terrific response from being back on air, if you will, with Courier. So everything we've learned from these daily podcasts we're taking to create a new weekly product which uh, will be called Courier Weekly. And it'll be out every Friday from next week alongside our weekly email. Danny will still be hosting it, but uh, it'll be a broader magazine kind of program with reporting from the world of Courier. You'll get to hear from the team behind it and um, really bring to life all the stories we're telling in other mediums. We're super excited about it. Yeah, and Jeff, you know, we're also going to expand our email and podcast offerings in our workshop vertical too. Yeah, exactly. I think... um, you know, workshops, that bit of the magazine that tries to kind of teach you useful skills in a hopefully entertaining and interesting way. And we think for the coming period, that's where a lot of the focus needs to be. So we're launching a new podcast and a new email, and that'll be what we hope, just a really useful resource that gives you the nitty gritty of how to with a lot of these um, topics. The idea without giving too much away is that we help the audience far better in the coming months by equipping you with specific skills and everything from HR to finance to supply chain and doing what we do in the magazine, taking all the boring stuff out, but uh, trying to make it as enjoyable and as easy to understand as possible. We'll have updates on that in the Courier Weekly email in the coming weeks, but it's something to look out for. Well, that's it for today. And I guess that's also it for the daily version of this show. As Jeff mentioned, we'll be back with a bigger and better weekly podcast starting next Friday. Expect even more insights, advice, stories, and lessons from businesses around the world as they continue to adapt and navigate these crazy, weird, but opportunity-rich times. And as ever, keep up to date with the world of Courier through our email newsletter, Courier Weekly. Subscribe, as ever, at couriermedia.co slash sign up. I'm Daniel Giacopelli. The new podcast starts next Friday. We'll see you there.